You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. One of the things that you, if you have been around Hillside for any length of time, you'll notice we do not have very many guest speakers from outside of Hillside. We have a good teaching team here, and I, I guess to put it this way, I'm particular about who we have come and speak into the life of our church. And one of the reasons for that is not because we want to just control the input, but we do everything we do through relationship. And I don't want to have one-hit wonders most of the time come by and just, no matter how great, come do a message and then never see them again. One of the great things about having uh, Mike Mercer and his family in the Compassion First community in our lives is it's something that's been a, a, a present a presence in our life since 2009. I can remember sitting with Mike and uh, having some conversations. I think Elise was 12 at the time. And we're just kind of kicking things around as they're, hey, we're, we're thinking about throwing a Christmas party for some prostitutes in a cemetery. And it's like, I'm in. And to see what God has done in, in making changes, it, it truly has shown me that uh, there's no good reason for us to be involved in something on the other side of the country except it's exact, the other side of the world, except it's exactly what God would have us do, where we may not see an immediate benefit, but there are many hundreds and even thousands of people's lives who are being changed. And the gospel is not just about doing things that are going to directly impact you and your house. It's about sharing the love of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is about being consistent with Christ where you live and your, your neighbor, the people that you get to interact with, and also in some ways casting your bread upon the waters. And I'm very thankful to be able to have a consistent voice of Mike Mercer into the life of our church. This summer, he spoke for me twice during my sabbatical. And I can't tell you how appreciative I was of it. when he heard I was going. He said, let me know. I'll be there. This is a man I'm, I'm proud to call a friend. This is one of the first times we get a chance to meet uh, one of his kids. His daughter, Grace, his oldest daughter, is, is here today. She doesn't want you to come and just, like, give her an onslaught. You can wave at her. She's right back here. Say hi, Grace. Yeah, she's wonderful, yeah. But we want to celebrate the privilege, number one, of Mike's birthday being this, this week, and he spends that with us every year but also celebrate the life that we get to see as Compassion First develops and grows and God uses him all over the world. Mike, will you come on up? Thanks, buddy. You want this? Well, good morning, Hillside. Uh, it's good to be with you. It seems like this is an annual Sunday here. Uh, we've done this enough times that... Um, I think it's become a biorhythm for me. If Louie wanted to say, hey, let's skip it next year, I'd probably um, have some sort of um, episode. And so, um, of course, I was able to be with you a couple times previously this year. And it's, it's actually interesting to experience that because I've probably said this before, probably everything I'm going to say this morning I've said before. I apologize. Um, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that God is blessing a church when he gives them babies. And you got a lot of babies right now. And uh, which I probably believe that because it fills my heart to kiss your babies. But um, different than December's past, I'm just returning from Indonesia. Uh, I've never been to Indonesia in December. Um, 
Uh, as originally scheduled, I should have been home uh, a few days ago and then would have flown down here, but uh, my daughter had a little car accident, and so I came home early and flew to Boston to pick her up. Uh, she just finished college, and so we're glad to have her back from the East Coast. Uh, and She and I have been driving across the country, and uh, we stopped and took a picture in front of Sun Studios and uh, stopped at the Big Texan Steakhouse Ranch in Amarillo for my birthday, my favorite restaurant on the entire planet. You should go sometime. You should make the special trip to Amarillo. There's nothing else there. There's, there's the Big Texan and there's the Cadillac Ranch, and there is really nothing else there. Um, this was the first time I said I've ever been to Indonesia in December, specifically Monado for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, we have some unwritten rules about Christmas. Uh, you don't really start Christmas until the day after Thanksgiving, right? And uh, you don't start playing the Christmas music. I try to violate that, uh, but I get in trouble in my own house for that. Uh, you don't flip the lights on the outside of the house. Uh, and you can do all of that until you can play the Christmas music until about New Year's Eve. Right? And then you, you got to cut it off. Uh, if you don't take your lights off your house within a certain grace period, you become one of those people. And, um, but I'm telling you, in Monado, Christmas starts on September 1. It starts on September 1. And the only thing that keeps Christmas from going year-round in Monado is you have to take a break for Easter. And, I mean, it goes and it goes and it goes. And... Um, I want to uh, give really proper context to my going because uh, even just in terms of me being uh, in Indonesia, I would hate to communicate that I go over there to do our work. Um, it's my privilege, it's the privilege of my life to steward uh, this growing organization. But my presence in Indonesia with our staff and our teams and our work there, it does not, it does not spurn on great things. I don't go over there to start something new. Compassion First Indonesia is an indigenized work. By the end of 2023, we will have over 100 employees in Indonesia um, across eight operations, and they are all amazing. And I get to be the pastor. I get to be the pastor of this staff, and my visits are strategic and as developmental uh, as you can imagine. Uh, but our existence in no way hinges on my presence there. Compassion First would very well uh, survive without me. Uh, the purpose for this trip this last week was to host our Foursquare president and my pastor, um, Pastor Randy Remington. Uh, got a couple of photos of, with Randy at Sarah's house, our flagship aftercare facility in, in Monado. This visit was 12 years in the making. Randy helped me start Compassion First. Um, I was on staff working for Randy at Beaverton Foursquare when we launched Compassion First, and, and what a sweet time to be there with him and ministering to the churches and the pastors uh, in the area. Um, he sends his greetings. Uh, he loves this church. He loves your pastors uh, and prays for you. Um, Hillside has been so faithful to this Christmas partnership. I want to uh, just tell you, I mean, that that Holy Night Cemetery outreach that we started with a Christmas offering, it's our greatest story right now. Um, the cemetery outreach, we've expanded into a second cemetery. Um, those cemetery works uh, informed the launch of an aftercare center in, in Surabaya. Um, that aftercare center was actually our only COVID casualty. It's still on temporary hold right now. 
but the staffing from that facility moved over and integrated with the cemetery staffs. And I have never, we went through a, a hard couple of years uh, with that work and a lot of things had to be rebuilt and I have never seen anything like it. it one, it blows my mind. The Ranka Cemetery, this new cemetery we're working in, is more blighted than the Yellow Flower Cemetery. And the life that's just emerging from there is just incredible. And the, the way our team is working and serving the community and our work, it, to say it comes at the invitation of the people who are there is true. But really, it is a, a true... If you were to read... Uh, if you were to read Brian Fickert's book, When Helping Hurts, it is a true representation of a cultivating of assets that exist within the community already uh, to a greater place and a greater health and human flourishing. And we're seeing that happen, and it's incredibly beautiful. And so this, this holy night offering that you guys were among the first to join us with, uh, helping us launch that first cemetery ministry. It was a fitting theme and drawn from my favorite Christmas hymn. And I don't know that we've gone back to the hymn Holy Night every single year, but I would say we've gone back to it most years or often done so. And this year we do so with the thrill of hope, which is a line in that song, obviously drawn from that song. And I think we were pointed in this direction because of the adjacent line, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And, and interchangeable there. Sometimes you hear a weary world rejoices. Sometimes you hear a weary soul rejoices. I think they're interchangeable. Either communicate the context of this moment. I think we are collectively weary. I think that we are collectively weary, not without hope, not without joy, not without peace, but weary. And, and I would just argue that weariness is a good context for rejoicing, that, that a weary world rejoices. It was in the throes of COVID that we were approached by a pastor from Jakarta who we did not know. And, and we had dreams for Jakarta, but we put all of our dreams on hold in March of 2020 when this pandemic started to fire up. This, this is no time for expansion, you know, and planning to grow and so on. We intended to eventually move our national headquarters to Jakarta, but COVID pretty much put everything on pause. And while we were just working to keep everything we had going in the right direction, this pastor who we didn't know called us and said, I have a property in Jakarta and God has told me to give it to you. And I mean, it's not a call you receive every day, right? <laughs> and so when you receive a call like that, it's like, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's the response, you know, it's really well-crafted words, you know, uh, <laughs> what do you say? And, and so we said, okay, we'll get back to you because we needed to know if we were supposed to receive this, you know. Um, the fact is, is that every opportunity isn't a gift and, and every gift isn't an opportunity. We needed to know from God if we're supposed to step into this. And so we didn't just immediately receive it. A week later, he calls back again and says, what are you waiting for? God told me to give this to you. And, and so we asked him, said, will you give us a week to pray as a team so that we know that we're actually supposed to receive this? Now, I got to be honest with you. This is real property we were given. When somebody's called and said, I have $200,000 in cash, we've never stopped and said, we need to pray 
uh, if we're supposed to receive this. But with property comes some obligation to use the property. And so, and in fact, God confirmed in our hearts that we were to receive it. And we called him back and said, we'd like to proceed. And a lot has happened since then. He gave us the house. He paid for most of the modifications to make it functional and safe for aftercare. And we've moved our national headquarters to Jakarta. And now we're working to get our doors open there next month. And this is the focus of this year-end giving campaign, the thrill of hope. And it seems to be how God does hope. Not only is it introduced in a time of weariness, but also in a context that just didn't ex include any expectation. You know, that that, was, that seemed to be um, a disposition that encouraged blessing. And, and isn't that how we relate to each other really well? That, that when somebody's living in expectation of something, that it's just harder to fulfill. But that when something is a pure blessing, it's easier to give. If you're able to participate in this offering with us, uh, we've got some information that I think will be on the screen. Um, and, and there is a QR code, but I just want to encourage you to participate in that however Louis has guided you. Uh, the QR code goes to our website, but uh, through the church uh, is just the same and better uh, because the church has a way of participating, as Louis described. And so uh, even with the provision of this shelter, the largest cost is staffing and operation. Aftercare is expensive. And so this becomes our strategy with an offering like this. We need to get as many months of operation under our belt as we possibly can. Let me tell you a, a principle. If it's not a universal principle in the Christian relief and development world, it should be. And, and it is one of ours. It's a core principle for us is that you have to keep your promises. That when you say you're going to do something, you need to set up so that you're capable of doing it forever. And as my friend Valerie, who leads our operations, says... We need to keep the doors open to this place until Jesus comes back and, and, it, and can't afford shutdowns because of budgets. So with offerings like this, we, we get as many months of operations under our belt as possible and then come behind it to support it with, with monthly donations as we go out and do our development work and tell our story. I say I've got a picture of our staff. It's about half hired so far. Um, if you can go to that, it's the one that looks like people. Um, there we go. I can't believe this group of people. It's the most amazing early staff we've ever experienced with, with an aftercare shelter so far. I'm so excited to see them do their work. They're incredible. They love Jesus. You'll see uh, uh, we have hired Muslims before, but the gal on the left is what we call an MBB or a Muslim background believer. Um, it's part of a large underground church movement. And, uh, and so she is a believer in Christ, uh, but still identifying as a Muslim. Very essential in a work in a Muslim context uh, to have that. And it, it absolutely puts a premium on discipleship. When somebody comes and says, you know, sort of gives this old school, well, you're having those girls come to Jesus, you know, say, hey, this is a context of discipleship. And... And the Holy Spirit is the one that converts the soul. It is not our skill. Uh, however, the environment is such that people know Jesus. And, and so I appreciate your prayers for these people uh, and this work. As we turn to this morning's message, very much an addendum to last year's message. Of course, uh, I expect that everybody remembers last year's message precisely. And um, here's the thing. 
with the Christmas story, which is my favorite, because it is such an intersection of earthly things and the mystery of heaven. It is an intersection. I mean, with Christmas, heaven came so close. It, it, was, it was an intersection of our time and space limitations and eternity itself and, and, the, and the opening of heaven and the, and the host and all of heaven's armies being present for a moment in history that had absolute eternal consequence. Absolute eternal, it was a moment of eternity. And, and so I, I find myself wanting to know the story in whole and, and year after year, I sort of focus in on, on a person or a group of people, whether it precedes the birth of the Christ, talking about Elizabeth, uh, or, or focusing in on Mary. And, and last year, I talked about the Magi, and I have not been able to get my mind off the Magi. And, and so, uh, and we, we have the Magi in, only in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're reading this morning from Luke chapter 2, but I'll get back to the Magi. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find him wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. Translators handle this differently. Some say with whom God is pleased. Some say all men. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Here's the addendum to last year. Let me talk about this manger scene for a moment. We'll bring in Matthew 2 and include the Magi in our manger scene. I don't know that this happened all at once. For the sake of efficiency, we cram them all into the manger scene that goes into our front yard, right? We've got a blow-up manger scene that's lit from the inside. The Magi are there. I don't know if they were there or if when they visited, they were in a home by that time. I don't know. But we cram all the characters in. So an audience for the birth and the early days of Jesus... We have angels, the whole host of heaven. We have animals. We have Joseph and Mary, perhaps a small business owner who owns a place that gave them this place to give birth, who's helping out however he or she can. We've got shepherds, an overlooked forgotten sort, but necessary for our food supply. Does that sound like America right now, by the way? It's like middle America, it just doesn't matter. They just give us all of our food, right? They just grow all of our cows and corn. So, but these people who had to work away from their families, loners, shower once a quarter types, you know, uh, critically important to the food and textile supply, but not socially important, otherwise forgettable. And the Magi, what a spectrum This scene or extension of scenes 
uh, and I'm guilty of missing a lot because the story gets told every year. Um, you know, yeah, you've got a, a, a poor virgin girl somehow holding a baby and, and a very confused and probably very scared father. And, and then you've got Eastern royalty standing next to unshowered shepherds. And by the way, angels. And a barn setting. For our purposes and what goes into our front yards, we put a sensible country western chic on the barn setting, right? We can miss the point on a lot of, uh, of Christmas. We can, we can miss the point, but I don't think we ever miss the wonder. And, and I think it's why we focus into our children, because they don't miss the wonder. And for all of history, I don't think that we ever will miss the wonder this historic intersection of heaven and earth. We see it in the eyes of our children and we guide them in such a way because, because we also see their sin nature, right? Our eyes, the children of our eyes, they glow up and their faces get more cherubic, right? And they also throw tantrums in the aisle of Target, right? And so, but it's an intersection of heaven and earth. Where wonder is concerned, there's a spirit of generosity that's greater that can't really be explained. 31% of annual charitable giving is done in the month of December. Balance that against the fact that almost all year-round giving is done by Christians. Let me set this up a little bit more. The average Christian who gives, gives away 17% of their income and up to seven organizations on top of their tithe to their home church. 17%, that's you and me. We give away our money. That's, that's not religious, by the way, because even if it's your religion, you don't do it for religion. Who does anything for religion? Religion is false. Religion is putting on the show, yes, I give away all this money and you're hoarding it, right? That's religion. Christians give because of who they are. Christians give not because of what Compassion First does or any other organization. People give, and it's an identity thing to who they are as a person. Compare that 17% to, for lack of a better term, the secularist, non-believer who gives. Compassionate secularists, 3% of their income. It's a huge contrast. It highlights the spirit of generosity that just goes around and that is a part of this story. To have a swell in December that amounts to 31% annually against a backdrop of already generous Christianity. And it's not just money. It's the warm greeting. It's Joni smiling at the gal at the bus stop this morning. It's it's the who we are. It's the greeting of Merry Christmas, or as Chris likes to say, Happy Holidays, that just flows from people, right? But you still have road rage at Target, right? It's an intersection of heaven and earth. Let's camp on generosity for a moment because it's not a compelled thing in an earthly sense. Being compelled in an earthly sense, meaning that a force from the outside makes you do something. I'm compelled to testify before Congress today. We have a huge debate in our nation going on right now today about compelled speech. You have to say this. In fact, it's a debate in Congress. 
That's an outside force telling you you have to do something. Biblical compulsion is different, though. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. It's an internal thing coming out. And, and Paul goes on to explain. He says, Jesus changed me, and I see every human differently. I see them according to the full, their full potential in Christ. And it's why you can be generous, love, acceptance, and forgiveness towards somebody who's completely undeserving because of an internal compulsion that goes on. Do you know where tithe-based generosity started? Genesis 14, Abraham and Melchizedek. And I won't go deep into Melchizedek. It's above my pay grade. But he was something like a king and a priest. And, and the words that the scripture uses are important. Priest of the most high God. Priest of the most high God. He wasn't Hebrew because that's all started with Abraham, right? So outside of this Hebrew lineage, priest of the most high God, transcendent of religion. He was outside of any sort of Abrahamic Jewish lineage. Scholars will range in opinion as to who he actually was. All will say, if you, if you use typology, all will say that he was a type of the Christ, a prophetic uh, forerunner of the Christ in typology. Some will say that he was a full-on theophany Christophany. I have no idea. But it was an intersection of heaven and earth. And the term most high God was used. And in that moment of visitation to Abraham, generosity flowed, and Abraham started giving him stuff. 10% of all he had, followed by a commitment to give 10% of all he had in all of the years going forward. That didn't come out of a religious writ. It came out of an internal compelling that happened in the, in the manner of 2 Corinthians 5.14. He just had generosity because of an intersection of heaven and earth. He just started giving stuff. This intersection of heaven and earth that shows us in so many ways how big God is, unfortunately also reveals how small our thinking can get. So Chris says, happy holidays. Does that offend you? Doesn't offend me. You know why Christmas is a holiday? doesn't offend me a bit when a non-believer says happy holidays and insists on their tradition of greeting. What do I care? In a spirit of generosity, I don't care. In a spirit of stinginess, say, no, i got to protect this thing for God. This is about Jesus. Oh, yeah, go at it, boy. <laughs> Have fun with that. Go change the world. I once felt compelled by external religious forces. Now I realize it's someone else's method of generosity to give that greeting to me. It's them saying, hey, I love you. I hope the best for you. They're not kicking Jesus off the throne when they say that. Nobody's going to do that. Jesus is not insecure. He's a whole person. Do you worry about the commercialization of Christmas? I don't. First of all, the whole world is celebrating Christmas right now. Go for it. Second, there's a lot of commerce going on, and everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to eat. Oh, they've commercialized Christmas. No, they're selling stuff, and people are buying stuff, and people go home and eat. A fundamental principle of life, everybody's got to eat. We all got to get paid. 
because you got to get paid to eat. Either that or you're reliant on charity, and that is an undignified form of eating. The most dignified form of eating is when you have a meal prepared on your table, bought with food that you purchased, that you earned, money that you earned. That's dignity. Let me just share two or three points that this intersection of heaven and earth show us this morning, all coming from this audience at the birth and the early life of Jesus. And the first is this, Christmas, Jesus is for the whole world. And we see it with the Magi, Matthew 2. This is where I can't shake the Magi. You have these men from the east, from the east that were in audience to the birth of Christ or the early life of the Christ himself. What did they know about the Messiah? Not a thing. What did it matter to their story and their history? Not a thing. They weren't Hebrew. They weren't sons of Abraham. They weren't expectantly awaiting the Messiah, and God invites them by means of a star, which was probably hooked to their religion. Some say they were Zoroastrians. They were always looking to the sky for guidance. And now God intersects with them and says, you got to go see my child. And they come, and I won't go deeply into this, but they're not following historic prophecies. They're just following God. And by observation, a weird religious practice. This is where the mystery of God really starts to mess with you. Listen, I'm a Christian man. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe that he is fully God, fully man, the Son of God part of the triune Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you find somebody that thinks they can explain what that is, God bless them, because I don't think you can. It's a mystery. I believe the scripture literally, when it says, no man comes to the Father but by me, I believe that's the absolute truth. Now, I believe that was true before the advent of Christ, just to add to the mind-bending nature of it all. Before anybody knew about the Messiah, I believe that no man came to the Father but through the Christ. Which means there's something out there that I can't wrap my head around, that I can't explain, that I can't write or explain a theology for. I've got some Saturday golf buddies. Never has there ever been a better collection of middle-class white guys. (laughs) And whatever that picture renders for you, go for it. Suffice to say, they're all pretty aligned in their thinking. You get too far off from their thinking, they'll go after you a little bit. Well, that sounds like a game to me. I love tying these guys in knots. Listen, I am a biblical Christian. I believe in the inspired word of God. I believe it's authoritative. And the older I get, the more simple my faith gets. The older I get, the more important love, peace, joy, hope the Advent becomes to me. I believe that Jesus is the living word, God himself, the one and only Savior. And as my faith grows, I become more comfortable with what I don't know. I used to be very insecure about what I didn't know, and that led to a need to know everything. And I realized at some point I'm not going to know everything. I just better get used to being dumb, you know, simple. The more I know about God, the more of a beautiful mystery he becomes. And the less satisfied I become with the oversimplified, tried answers to the hard questions. Things that, in the end, just make God small. Things that 
might make our spiritual life and our political ideology and our financial well-being and all things that make us feel comfortable kind of line up. They don't line up. They don't line up. We are walking dichotomies. So when my golf buddies say stuff, I like to ask questions. I think a couple of them might think that I'm not saved. One is pretty sure I'm a universalist. And to a handful of them, my salvation is sincerely in the balance because I am a registered independent. (laughs) You have to do something with the Magi. The Magi weren't Hebrew because God got to them somehow. And they weren't raised in America. They didn't come from the Baptist church. The religious people were looking for the Messiah, and they missed him. The Magi were not, and they found him. These guys weren't spending their lives looking for the Messiah, and they found him. This shouldn't be confusing. It should be humbling. Christmas is for everybody. God is intervening in the earth, even to the point of an incarnation for peace on earth to all man that everyone could know the core messages of the Advent, love, joy, peace, and hope. Christmas is for everybody. And second is this, Christmas is Jesus for the whole person. This importance of incarnation may be the point, maybe the point above all points, God coming to us, God identifying with every part of us, God experiencing every part of our lives, and maybe most important, God identifying with the poor. God identifying with the poor. And let me just talk about this for a minute. If there were ever a book that told the story of Christmas ahead of time, it's Isaiah. And, and I just would encourage you, go the next couple of months, just read Isaiah four or five times. I feel like it's an important book for us to know in terms of the times that we're in right now because it will humble you. The messages that were coming to Isaiah were in difficult times. Judah and Israel were divided, oftentimes in conflict with each other, oftentimes recruiting outside forces to help them in their conflict with each other. There are two incredibly broad themes that run through the book of Isaiah. One is this, God's disdain for their continued religious practice when their hearts were not with him. You can just do a study and count the number of times that he says in Isaiah, I don't care about your offerings. I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your burnt calves. I don't care about your fasting. Second, and evidenced by their lack of care for the poor. And those two things, those two themes run together. There's a third theme for extra credit. And it's a theme of humility and being humbled. The fact that God was going to humble them or that God lifted up the humble. It's significant that there is reference specifically made to God and the heaven's armies in the Christmas story. Isaiah 3.15 says this, How dare you crush my people? Grinding the faces of the poor into the dust. Do you think he's serious about the poor? I mean, these are, these are well-crafted words. Grinding the faces of the poor into the dust demands the Lord, the Lord of the heaven's armies. 
It's the same heaven's armies that showed that, that, that was in reference when, when, when talking about Melchizedek, God, God most high. And the same heaven's armies that show up at the birth of the Christ. The Christ who was born into cold poverty. Jesus did a couple of things by coming the way he did. Not just relative poverty, but absolute vulnerability, family hardship, extremely difficult circumstances. Not to mention that he was an unplanned birth. That he was an illegitimate child. There's no way around that. God is the father of an illegitimate child. God is the father of all illegitimate children. Something that would affect Joseph's ability to get work living in a religious community. So he not only experienced absolute vulnerability, but he also experienced what it meant to be provided for by God in that vulnerability. The place of his birth, likely the provision of a small business owner. You got a safe place to, to be born. And then these gifts of the Magi, that these outsiders, these royalty people from another nation, another place, these are not details of the story to pass over. The fact that they brought gifts, they brought highly valuable gifts like you would exchange kingdom to kingdom. Gold, it's still valuable today. They brought a lot of gold. How did the first fam- or the, the, the Holy Family get down the road? Pay for several moves? Survive? They were funded by, by non-Hebrew people who were coming to see the Messiah. The provision of the Magi is reflective in how God cares for Jesus, for us, and how he also cared for the Magi. Here's the the bow I want to tie on the point. I mentioned Brian Fickert earlier, and for me to do any explanation of his work is just going to undersell it. But I had the chance to meet him a couple of months ago, and and most have heard of the book, When Helping Hurts, and I heard Brian give a presentation of his follow-up book called Becoming Whole. And to say this doesn't do justice to his work or his presentation, but Our care for the poor can never be mindless charity. Our relief and development work, if done right, it walks alongside the individuals acknowledging their own assets and the life and the gifts that they bring to the table, and it walks a pathway towards wholeness and restored relationships. Restored relationship with God, restored relationship with each other, restored relationship with the earth. And here's the thing, when we get to walk alongside them, we become whole in the process. The Magi went home whole because they met Jesus and it changed the course of their lives. They, they bypassed Herod, which would have been great for their political and, and national futures, but they said no to that because they had had a visitation with God. They had become whole in the process. Let me just say this as the last point. Christmas is Jesus the whole story. And that includes your story. 
thing I'd like to finish with, I tend to measure the story of my life by Christmases. These are these high point memories that we have as we walk through life, right? Christmas was when I first encountered God as a very small child. And let me put that into a very human context. Uh, It's also where I saw the height of family dysfunction. Most of us, that's the same story, right? You gather for Thanksgiving, Christmas, stuff's going to go down, man. I'm not trying to paint a Thomas Kincaid for you here. I've seen it all. Drunk family, people leaving, extended family showing up with no gifts for their own children because the Christmas money was stolen when it was actually used to buy drugs. Being dead broke as a dad and trying my best to provide Christmas and having it just crush the life out of me. Facing illness. Last year, we lost my mother-in-law and my mentor, We felt lucky to get Christmas off the ground in our house last year. But that's my story. Not only do we all have our story, God involves himself in the story of our whole lives. I was just in Indonesia in November. I've got a couple of pictures of this island, Manado Tua. There's a hotel that I stay at in Manado. And if I face the water, I see this volcanic island that sticks up out of the water. It's called Manado Tua. And there's a flat island beyond it called Bunakan. I've been to Bunakan a bunch of times. It's kind of a diver's paradise. I've never gone diving, but that's that's why that island's there. But Manado Tua, it's harder to get to even though it's closer. And I've asked questions over the years. I've wanted to go there for like 10 years. You know, why have we never gone to Monado Tua? Well, it's hard to get to. The tides affect, you know, you getting there. And Do people live there? About a couple thousand people live on Monado Tua. No cars. There's a six-foot-wide motorcycle path that goes all the way around the island. Are there churches out there? Yeah, there's five four-square churches on Monado Tua. Finally, in November, for the first time, I went to Monado Tua and preached in a little church. Nobody goes to Monado Tua to visit, to preach. In all of the history of this church, I bet they've got that many guest speakers, right? And I met this pastor, and I said, I want to go preach at your church. So we hauled out there on a boat at 6.30 in the morning, you know, and you sort of hike your shorts up and step out into the water and walk up the shore, and then you walk right to the church, change clothes into into a tie and a coat because that's how they do church, you know. <laughs> and it was just the coolest time ever. And, and this, was, this was not my message to them, but this was the point. I don't think it's that important that I visited there. What I think is important that they would know that at no time in the history of their existence are they forgotten. When Louis comes to Indonesia, he and I are going to go out to that church together. I told that pastor, I said, the next time I bring a group of pastors here, we are not going to go to any big churches. We're all going to come out. We're going to preach in all of the churches on Monado Tua. Because their whole story matters. It matters as much as, and that, that pastor, that faithful pastor of that church, his story matters as much or more than the pastor on TV who everybody knows about who I could care less about, by the way. Just a little little personal stuff out here while we're at it. What you see is what you get. (laughs) The thrill of hope 
is only a thing if you're hoping for what is real. Love, joy, peace, hope. Those are integral needs. You can't live without those things. I think you need them in order to be whole. And when you don't have them, you're compensating. And you and I will agree on this, I'm pretty sure. Compensating is really hard work. When you're putting on a show and, and when you're faking it till you make it, it's, it is hard work. When you lie and have to maintain a lie, that's hard work. Telling the truth, by the way, is, it just would sound obvious, but it's a serious core value to me. And there's a whole story about why it's a core value to me. I can't tell you the number of times I've had the opportunity to lie in the last year. And it's been dangled in front of me like a carrot. Well, you, all you got to do is lie, and this, this won't, there won't be any consequence here. And I've had to make the choice to take my medicine and tell the truth. Here's the latest one. Kimra sent me a... I was driving Lyft last year through COVID quite a bit. Got a few red light tickets, um, flashing tickets, you know, when they take a picture of you and send you the bill. You get too many of those, and they say, we might not like you to drive anymore. And, and so your insurance is going to go way up. Well, we got the insurance bill. And Kimra sent, said, hey, insurance is going up by 1800 bucks. Do you want to... I thought, well, I could just pull off and just be insured on my Compassion First car and no problem, you know, just won't drive our family car. That's my solution. And she said, oh, well, to do that, we would have to send them a letter saying that we've legally separated. And I said, well, I'm not going to lie. And I said, and I'll pay 1800 bucks if I can still be married to you. <laughs> and she wrote back and said, yeah, me too. So we'd be passing the plate this morning or for the sake of my marriage. So, <laughs> See, if you lie, you got to maintain the lie. I can't maintain that lie. I'm staying married. Compensating, it sounds like a lot of work to me. I'm too old. My feet hurt. I was talking to Pastor Randy about this. Um, lamenting what has become in some corners of ministry where what is real, peace, love, hope, joy, what is real is not celebrated, but what is accomplished is celebrated or what can be presented is celebrated, right? And I said, it's just, it just all looks like a gimmick to me, Randy. So here's, here's the thing, gimmicks work they just don't bring life. I'll give you an example of gimmicks that work. I am a student of old-time barnstorming professional wrestling. You want to geek out on something? Let's talk about the old-time professional wrestlers. I will talk all day long with you. All right? I grew up on Portland wrestling. My grandpa used to take me. I love it. And the key component to professional wrestling working is working the gimmick. You work the gimmick until the gimmick works. And so here's the thing. And the audience buys it, right? Listen, that's not a credible audience. <laughs> if the audience is buying your gimmick, it, it's not saying a lot about you, okay? That's, I'm the audience, you know? It's, <laughs> it's not saying a lot. Here's how hard those men 
had to work the gimmick. You had your heels and your baby faces. They could never leave in a car together because the gimmick went outside the arena. They had to maintain the gimmick. They were not allowed to stay in the same hotels together. They were not allowed to eat in the same restaurants together because maybe his name is Joe, but in the ring, his name is Himalaya Jack. He's Himalaya Jack everywhere. Here's the thing, working the gimmick works. But a lifetime of working the gimmick, these guys' stories, they're not good. They hurt a lot of people. They hurt themselves. You can't go to a pro wrestling signing convention these days without seeing half the room in wheelchairs and with colostomy bags and, and uh, you know, diabetes medication and just the whole bit. It's painful. But they worked a gimmick and it worked, but there's not life that comes from it. Thank you for enduring that illustration. It, it <laughs> fulfilled me. It, you know. Being born in a stable is as real as it gets. That's as real as it gets. If you were born in a stable, I want to be your friend. If you've ground out your life and you're making a living off of a skill that God gave you and you're doing your best with it, I want to be your friend. And that, I, I think that's what God was saying to us at the incarnation. I just want to get as close to you as I can. After my dad got sober, it was so fun to watch him sponsor other alcoholics because that is a what-you-see-is-what-you-get group of people. That's where lying doesn't work anymore. If you're lying, you're drinking. If you're drinking, you're lying. And, and then if you're sober, you're just telling the truth. I, I loved that group of people. That's the incarnation. Jesus came for them. I think he shows up at AA conventions for what it's worth and sort of waves his hand through the cigarette smoke, you know, and just... If we can stand this morning. I want to pray for you with two very simple concluding expressions. It's really weird as I measure this year. It's been a weird year. It's been awesome. My wife's been in school full-time the whole year. I, I got to believe we're going to get reacquainted with each other at some point. Um, it's felt like COVID makeup as far as travel goes and things like that, you know, and I think that's a lot of people's professional lives is all those months we had sitting on the couch, uh, we're getting paid back for them. And I've come into this high value. I value something higher than anything else right now. It is the peace of God. The, the peace of God and the truth of God are a hand in a glove. So there's no room for lies. There's no room for faking it. There's no room for it because those are things that robbed you of peace. So I think I can say I'm closer to God than I've ever been because I know his peace. And here's what I've become very, very comfortable saying as a result. It just flows from my lips. It flows from my heart. God bless you. What an amazing thing to say to somebody. Everything I know about God, may it be spoken over your life. God bless you. Yahweh bless you. The word Yahweh means all that I am, I will be for you. God bless you.
And the second is Merry Christmas. May the gift of heaven, the intersection of heaven and earth for a moment in time that had eternal impact, have the fullness of blessing on your life this year, the days to come on you and your family in all of its wins and all of its losses. Merry Christmas. That God will walk with you through those losses and disappointments. And that even in those moments, as in the moments of celebration and elation, that you would know the presence of God in such a way that peace, joy, hope, and love would be incumbent qualities in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of Jesus with permission from Jesus Christ himself to do so. I pray for Hillside Church, the families that are here, those represented, those online, those that couldn't make it today, that you would bless these families and their households, that you would do so in such a profound way that we would just know that it's you and that it would not result in us taking victory laps. It would result in us being humble and thanking you and loving others that we would live the lifestyle of love and acceptance and forgiveness and that for some mysterious way it would just start to also make sense to others. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Louis. Thank you, Mike. I just want to wrap that whole thing with just, I, Lord, I pray that you would bless what we give of our time, energy, and effort here at Hillside and the lives that we live and, Lord, to the ends of the earth. We continue to bless compassion first and the work that's happening that is, goes so far beyond anything we could ever have hoped or imagined because you have good plans for your people and you're in the business of rescuing and transforming and making new. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to do remarkable miracles in the lives of these young ladies, but also, Lord, that be, people have no choice but to give glory to God and that you would bring many people to you in this process, body, soul, mind, and spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to give towards Compassion First, you can give online through the Compassion First website. You can also give via the Hillside app. All you would need to do is go in and choose designated as the fund, and then you can leave a note saying what it's for, Compassion First. And we will be receiving money through the end of this month and then forwarding it to them, or you can send it directly to them. Okay? Make sense? Okay. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside4.org.